Well, most of you know the story of Samson and Delilah. Some of you probably don't know some of those things that he did, that Samson did, to get notoriety. You know, he, he was the last of the judges, if you will, but he lasted 20 years holding back the Philistines. And those of you who know that story of Samson and Delilah, um, he had had, in fa fact, that whole fire setting on the, the acreage of the Philistines was due to uh, a failed attempt at getting married and some other incidences he'd had. He, he, was, he was kind of a rowdy guy, but uh, he finally sets his eyes on this lady, uh, Delilah, and they have a relationship. And the Philistines, who have been underneath his you know, domination for 20 years, come to her and say, hey, and she was not a Jew. She, she was um, uh, from that at least part of the country, and, and uh, they said, hey, we'll give you 1,100 uh, shekels of silver, which is like, I don't know, like $3,000, and they said each one of us will give you that. So no telling how much money it really was that they were going to present to her. If they could just find out the secret to his strength, and then they could subdue him. So she goes, okay, you know, going to basically betray him for money. And uh, she goes and asks him, hey, what's the secret of your strength? And if you know the story, the first thing he tells her, well, if you really want to subdue me, just take some bowstrings, you know, brand new bowstrings off of a bow and arrow type thing and tie me up with those. And man, I can't get out. I I'm, I'm done for the day. So she does that, and then she says something like, hey, the Philistines are at the door, and boom, he busts loose of the string. I mean, just like John Briley, I was talking about you yesterday, putting him in a child's baptismal road. I'm pretty sure the day I baptized him, he was like Hulk in there. You know, he was ready to rip that. Remember how tight that was? So we were talking about you yesterday at Cars and Coffee, so your ears were burning. The next thing uh, she says, well, I, come on, you're lying to me. You're making fun of me. In fact, she says you're calling me a fool by, you know, these things you're doing. So he says, well, take some... Um, Fresh, uh, what's the next one? Anybody? Okay, take some broccoli and hold it back. Gosh. It's fresh ropes, brand new ropes. Take brand new ropes and, you know, tie me up with those. Same thing. Hey, the Philistines are here. Boom, he pops loose. Finally, uh, he says, oh, I tell you what, uh, I, I know I've been teasing you, honey. You know, we really wanted to... I love you, trusting you. Just take my hair and weave it into a loom. And, and, and while it's tied up, you know, this long hair, I won't be able to do anything. They do that, doesn't happen either. So finally, he, after them pleading back and forth, hey, if you love me, you would tell me this. And he tells her, my strength is in my hair. And she gets him to go to sleep on her lap, call somebody in, they cut his hair, and you know the rest of the story. Uh, they were able to take him away. In fact, they actually gouge his eyes out, blind him, and... Someday we have to come back and do a whole series on Samson because he he's entertaining and he's powerful and God took care of him. So, I mean, God blessed him. So, I mean, there, there's a lot there you could go with. But that idea of love and betrayal, those two seem to go together. The Greek word for betrayal comes from a combo of the preposition Para, P-A-R-A, which means beside, near, close by, and the word which means to give. So to give something close by, to literally hand over something of yours, if you will, or something that was important to you to someone else. 
In modern day vernacular, betrayal explains the handing over of something or a violation of trust that was given to someone near to your heart. In fact, I thought about this so long this week. How could Judas do what he did? And how could Jesus continue to love him even though he knew he was going to do this? And I came to the idea that without love, there can be no betrayal. In fact, I thought, well, I'm the first guy to ever think of that. <laughs> I'm so smart. You Google it, and you find there's like 15,000 other people who've said that. So the guy who uh, made it famous is John Le Carré. Chief, you know him? Espionage writer, British guy. Uh, I think he did that Tinker Soldier movie that we saw. I think that's one of his books. He says this, betrayal can only happen if you love. Betrayal can only happen if you love. Otherwise, it's just, you know, it's kind of like you cheated me, you got the best of me. But betrayal involves matters of the heart. So let's read of the love, the troubled heart, and the betrayal of Judas in John 13, verses 28 through 30. Chapter 13. And he's tying in, you got, you know, most headings in Bibles are there usually because a new, new thought is coming, but sometimes they're, they're there, and sometimes the chapters cut up a thought. But Jesus has washed their feet. He's told them that, you know, I've washed you, but some of you are not fully clean. In other words, your hearts aren't clean. He's referring to Judas. We know earlier in the chapter, I think it's like the second verse, that, that evening of the meal had been served, the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot. So we know that there is getting ready to something to happen. Jesus has talked about it all along, that he knew who G Judas was and the fact that the devil was going to uh, use him. So he begins at verse 18. He's talked about them being blessed if they do the things he's told them to do. He says, but I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. John 6, verse 70, that we covered several months ago. He said, did I not choose 12 of you? I chose all of you, but one of you is a devil. But this is to fulfill the scripture, which would be Psalm 41, verses not verse 9 and following. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Now that's an idiom of the day. Just like if I told you you're pulling my leg, most of you would know that you're joshing me, right? But if you said that to somebody in Japan, you're pulling my leg, if I could speak Japanese, they probably would not understand what I was referring to. But the readers of Jesus' time knew that if you're you're showing me your heel. You are doing. You're like kicking me in the gut, and the visual of it is, you're walking out on me. So, here he has showed his heel against him, one that has shared bread with. Verse 19. I'm telling you now, before it happens, he's wanting them to understand before this all happens who he is. That when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. He is the one the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send, and what he does now, he connects it back to the earlier verses, because remember he said the, the messenger is never any greater than the one who sent him. He said, I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. I tell you the truth, one of you 
is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one he meant. Could you imagine being at a dinner table with Jesus and he says, one of you, one of you is going to betray me. Wouldn't you be turning to your buddy going, hey, what'd you do? What, what, what shenanigans have you been up to? Because I know it's not me, right? None of us would ever betray him. Hmm. I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. First time he's referred to this way, most of Bible commentators, theologians say, this is John who authored this gospel, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And we'll talk about the table in a little bit, how they were sitting at this Passover meal. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple. So he's close enough to John to say, hey, man, what's, he, what's Jesus saying? Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, and it's interesting, I think you often overlook this. The other disciples did not hear his answer. Had they heard the answer, Judas probably would have never left that room. Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. Now, I think King James, they say, uh, what's the word Judd King James is using for that tidbit or that morsel? Does it say morsel? I'm just looking at people I know who carry King James. But that is a common sign of honor in the Jewish culture of the day to hand it's like when I grew up mom and dad she she would cut a fried chicken and fry a chicken only mom and dad got the breast my sister and I got the legs and the wings and she would often get the pulley bone what we call that you know the wishbone because it still had some of that white breast meat on it you know I, Cliff's over there <laughs> and chewing on the bone but to be offered that's like saying here's the breast of chicken. This is the best piece. And Jesus offers that to the very one who's going to offer him up to be crucified. It's just amazing the love he has for him. And as soon as Ju Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So if you put your finger on that and think about how many people say that Judas was so vile, so full of Satan, so possessed by Satan up to this point, then why would John write at that point, Satan entered into him? Obviously, from verse 2 of chapter 13, he's got a hold on him, but now he's fully filled him with the vile evilness of Satan. Jesus responds, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas was in charge of the money, some thought that Jesus was telling him to go buy what was needed for the feast. Now, some will stop right there and think that this means that this event happened prior to the Passover. If that's the case, the disciples would already ask, where's the lamb? You know, this is not the case. It was culturally accepted during the Passover meal to go and buy food for those less fortunate or to take some of your Passover meal and give it to the poor. In fact, you could even give money to the poor, and that would have been culturally the practice of the day. 
And that's exactly what they thought he would do. Or to give something to the poor, as in money. And Judas was the money keeper. So there was no alarm in their minds. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And there's so much more implied in these little little lines here. And it was night. This is the gospel of light. Constantly displaying God, displaying the Son, Jesus, as the light of the world. And now Judas has turned his back on the light and gone into the darkness. Pray with me, please. Lord, as we look at this passage that so many of us are so quick to say, I could never be like Judas. I would never betray you. I would never walk side by side with you three years, see all the wonderful things you've done, see your love for the children, see your love for the lost, see your love for the handicapped, those who need your healing, those who need... Even to bring people back from the dead, and yet Judas betrayed. Help us to learn from this text. Help us to examine our own hearts. The area where Satan may have started a grip on us. And to allow your son, through his spirit, to infill us in such a mighty way that Satan cannot get a grip on any one of us. Hear this, Lord, for I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus knew the betrayer, and he knows you. Remember that Jesus had finished washing the disciples. Peter was the one who said, hey, no, not, not, not me, you know, don't, don't do that. Judas had had his feet washed by the one he's just about to go turn in to the chief priests and the leaders of the temple to say, crucify him. He's reminded, Judas had to be reminded that not everyone was clean because Jesus said that. And now the devil, as we've said, has already prompted and finally he betrays Jesus. I think we often forget Luke 22. And and had I not been preparing for this sermon, which some of you think I never prepare and Some days it's better than others. I'll give you that. You know, I was telling somebody this week, you want to hit a home run every week, but as long as you get on base, you know, it's the strikeouts that you really don't like or standing there and walking. I used to do that a lot in Corey League. In the league, I would watch the ball. I always want to be swinging. Maybe you'll connect. Did you know that Jesus tells Peter in Luke 22 at the same setting, different account, that Satan wanted you? You remember that ever? We remember that Judas is the one who betrayed, but Satan was trying to get Peter to do the same thing. And Jesus says, when you come back, so he already knows he's going to deny him, when you come back, take care of the brothers. Jesus says, I have chosen you. He has chosen each of you. And he even knew the betrayer that he chose. He knew him from the beginning. This was no surprise to Jesus. It was no surprise to God. It was no surprise at all in God's plan that Judas would do what he did. This betrayal would not shock him. Although because of his love for Judas, it would hurt him and hurt him deeply. Unlike the disbelief of others, when Jesus had tried to share that who he was, They just didn't believe Judas had actually been with him for three years. He had shared a meal with him. He had shared several meals with him. And that's when you get to this familiar passage of Psalm 41, verse 9. I have it written in my notes here. 
David writes, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, had lifted up his heel against me. And then he also, if you have your Bibles, let me just, you know, it's always good to learn, you know, your way through some of these. Go to Psalm 55. That's kind of an accompaniment to this section of being betrayed. Uh, Verses 12 through 14. David writes, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. In other words, I told you earlier, Jesus understood that some would not believe when he came into their cities. In fact, he tells his disciples when you go in the city, they won't welcome you, shake the dust off your sandals and go somewhere else. If it was an enemy insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from it. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walk with the throng at the house of God. So, what is David referring to there? Anybody know the rest of the story, Paul Harvey says? And, you know, some of you may know that David had a son who tried to take over from him. Can you say that name, anybody? Very good. What's the big thing about Absalom other than trying to take over from his dad? He was the most handsome man in the land. Really, it says in Scripture, there wasn't a blemish on his body. He was the handsomest guy around. So he just decides to take his over from his dad. And his dad's counselor, his dad's close friend, can you say his name? It's a hard one. Uh, Hith. Uh, anybody got that one? I love it when you don't know. That way I can just tell you, you know, it was his counselor. And no, it's, it's actually Ahithophel, A-H-I-T-H-O-P-E-L. Ahithophel was his counselor, his confidant. And the son goes to his dad's counselor and tries to get him to gather together to go against the father. Well, they do. But then eventually the son doesn't do what the advisor said, and guess what the advisor does when David finds all this out? He goes off and hangs himself. Do you see the forecasting of what Judas would do? Those of you who know what Judas did after he betrayed Jesus, he goes and hangs himself. He walked out on me. He raised his heel. Let no one be mistaken. Jesus says, I am he. Why would you betray me? We read in verse 21, he's troubled. Look at that. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Third time this word is used in the Gospel of John. It means to agitate. And I know many of you have washers now that don't have an agitator in it. I don't know how they work, but, you know, old school washers had this agitator in the middle. It shook things up. It made them go up and down. And that's what Jesus' heart is doing. He's fully man and yet fully divine. And he knows that this man that he has walked with, talked with, taught, mentored, poured himself into him for three years, knowing that he's going to be the one who betrays him, but yet wanting, praying, hoping that he might change his mind. He sees it's going to happen. All week long, I have struggled in my heart to explain to you better Judas. 
at the coffee group on Thursday, I told them I was going to be talking about Judas. And I mean, if you follow along in the scriptures pretty well, you'll know next week I'm going to be at verse 31. So you could go from there and you can get ahead of me. But some were saying, well, man, I, I've been wanting to hear a sermon on Judas a long time. What do you think? Well, I struggled with it because no matter whether you think Judas did what he did because it was predetermined by God from creation or whether you think Judas did it because he liked money. I mean, he liked to put his hands in the coffers. He was, he's the one, member when uh, after at Lazarus' house, they anoint his feet with Jesus' feet with some very costly perfume. He's the one who says, Jesus, they could have sold that and given all the money to the poor, and probably he would have taken his 10%. He liked money. Or maybe even in some of the more modern translations, or modern theologians, if you will. Because, you know, there is a pseudo-pigraphal book, you know, the false, non-canonical book that is called the Gospel of Judas, where he claims in that book, which is written the second century, you know, way after Jesus' time, so it, take it for what it's worth, nothing. Uh, but many modern-day preachers have quoted, well, Judas was in on it. Jesus asked him to do it. I don't think so. How could his heart be troubled? How could it fulfill Scripture in the sense that one would betray, not just one was told? So when I come back to this, I say G Judas betrayed Jesus, and he did it for the same reason that people betray people in 2023. People betray voluntarily and selfishly. That's what betrayal is. A voluntary action for a selfish end. Then I ask myself, how many times have I betrayed my Savior? Voluntarily and selfishly because I wanted to please myself more than him. Or I lacked the faith to walk the narrow road and I chose the wide road that leads to destruction. I chose the easy way. You know, several months ago, this is a, boy, that's a bad segue. They're going to think, several months ago, Brendan and I were walking the wide, no, several months ago, we were watching a TV show. Anybody watch, I don't know if it was on Amazon or Prime, um, where the something sing? I think you guys talk, yeah, Crawdads, isn't it? I was hoping somebody had seen it, that, yeah. Where the Crawdads sing? It's based off of a book about two or three years prior to that. And in the book and in the movie, if you've seen it, it's kind of, I don't want to tell you a whole lot about it in case you watch it. And I don't know that it's on my top ten by any means, but it, it was worth the watch. And it was free. Um, so there you go. Uh, but in the case, there's a lady, a girl named Kia, who lives on the marshlands in North Carolina. And she's kind of a, a girl of the land. Her folks have kind of basically left her. Uh, dad, dad did, mom's gone. And, and she gets the family house, but she's living there trying to make do with what she can. And she has a, a relationship with a, a boy named, I think his name was Nate. And uh, they have, or Tate, Nate or Tate, some of you can correct me later. But they have a relationship, and, and it's like her first love. And eventually they think they're going to get married, and, and college comes, time for him. And he goes off and never writes her back. This girl who was a social outcast, who no one really, you know, befriended. In fact, they made fun of her because her dresses weren't as nice as others, you know, all this kind of thing, where she lived, you know, you're the swamp girl, all this kind of stuff. And this guy that she loved, that she'd given her heart to, betrays her. And in the book and in the movie, he comes back to her. I had the note, his name is Tate, not, yeah. He says to her, Kia, 
leaving you, this is years later, he comes back, he says, leaving you was not only wrong, it was the worst thing I could have done or ever will do in my life. Should the injured, the still bleeding, bear the onus of forgiveness? Let me say that again. Why should the injured, those still bleeding, bear the onus of forgiveness? Christ knows and loves those that abandon him. And when you betray his love, when you have denied his power, when you have pursued other friendships, the loves of the world, he is the one left injured. He is the one who's bleeding on the cross, who bore the onus of our forgiveness. He knew the betrayer. He knows you. And as we go to our last point, he loved him anyway, and he loves you anyway. Wow. I remember the first year I was here at First Baptist Church of Lotus, uh, a uh, play, an annual play that had not been done in several years was done, the Living Lord's Supper. And Spencer, my youngest son, <laughs> I think uh, got roped into being in the play, had no line. I don't think he had a line. Did he, was he standing by you, chief? I know he had the finger. Not, not the finger, he had the finger. Because if you have ever looked at a painting of Leonardo da Vinci, that's what they did. We had a backdrop uh, that looked like the Lord's Supper, you know, da Vinci's painting. We had tables up there, and we had 12. Anybody here that was in it? I'm looking. I thought, I, yeah, or have been in it at different times because it was not the first time it had ever been done. But that's like in the fall, I think, of 86. And uh, actually, it was recorded, and I looked for my DVD. I couldn't find it. I will make you all watch it sometime. No, I won't. <laughs> but it was good. It was really good. We had the 12 disciples. We had Jesus. We had Leonardo da Vinci. And we even had da Vinci's helper. And those were the characters. And they acted out or reenacted uh, the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper was not really like uh, da Vinci uh, portrayed it. Uh, you know, they did not line up on a table for the painter to paint them or the photographer to take their picture. That just didn't happen. Uh, there, the, the Romans used a table, I think the fancy word is triclinium, something like that. It's a three-way table that's really a U. So if you can imagine a field goal, okay, got the field goal, lay it down, and that's the way the table is, okay? And their goalpost is where the head, head of the table reclined, and the, the U is actually smaller. That way the servers could come in and bring the food or the you know, drink or whatever. So everybody is reclining around the table on some little pillows or a little blanket or whatever they got. And when they're laying down, because most of the world, and I know some of you are left-handed. I have a left-hander in my son, uh, in the family. But most were reclining on their left shoulder so they could, you know, scoop it in with the right hand. Yeah, you got that? I can see you, Steve. Are you right-handed? You right-handed? Yeah, you could really get it in. Good, yeah. Left-handed guys would have to kind of work with it. But so if Jesus is in the center and he announces when, you know, well, John, the one who Jesus loved, is leaning on his left shoulder right on Jesus' chest. His head is there. There are some paintings from the Renaissance. I know i got a painter's son. There are some that show John like laying on his lap. I don't think that's the way. I don't think, I don't think grown men would lay on each other's lap. Oh, feed me. No, he's, that's the way he's setting. He's leaning against him. He's, got, he's close. And Peter is probably here. In da Vinci's picture, the three are together. John, Peter, and Judas. But if you stay with me. If John is leaning against Jesus and Peter says, hey, John. Who, who's the bad guy? And John whispers to Jesus, who, who is it? 
And he says, the one I will give bread to, Judas, is in the seat of honor. To the left of the head of the table is the seat of honor. And he is reclining right beside the one that he would betray, but he loved him anyway. All the way to the end. He gave him the seat of honor. He washed his feet. He loved him. And he knew he would betray him, but he loved him anyway. Jesus' heart is troubled because he loves him so much because he knows what Judas is going to do. This troubling, this violence in his heart, it's pain and suffering. Most of you here know what a troubled heart is, unless you're so young and so innocent you've never had a troubled heart. But I would say about fourth or fifth grade, you might have your first little crush. And when that little boy or girl says no, you know what a troubled heart feels like. When you love or care for something that has turned its heel towards you, walked out. You know what a troubled heart feels like? Maybe it's from your spouse. Maybe it's from your parents. Maybe it's from your children. Maybe it's from your employer. Maybe it's from your neighbor. Maybe it's from a close friend who betrayed you in some way. Jesus loved him anyway. I will quickly remind you that the only accounts after Judas bringing uh, those who would kill Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane is, it's not found in John. After, I mean, afterwards, we only know of him from Matthew and the first chapter of Acts. Where they're, and they're a little different in their account. He, he took the money back. In, in Matthew, he took the money, the 30 pieces of silver. He took that money back to the chief priests and said, here, I have sinned. I have sinned. The blood of an innocent man is on my hands. Now, is that redemption? Is that forgiveness? Is that a reconnection with the Lord? I don't know. I'm not God. I don't claim to be. All I know is what I've read and what I can show you and share with you. But he had a contrite heart at that point. In Acts, it says that it, it doesn't even really just say exactly he hung himself. He says he fell forward on his head. In, in Matthew, it says he hung himself. And in, in Acts, it says he fell forward, his head, and, you know, like his, it's very gross, his body explodes. And uh, the land on both accounts was uh, then purchased with those 30 pieces of silver, and it was called the field of blood or the potter's field, which, again, fulfills more Old Testament prophecy. As I said, some say that part in Matthew uh, is Judas' confession of belief. I, I, I don't know, but Jesus kept loving him anyway. And he'll keep loving you and me. When we fail him, when we betray him, if we will only come back to him and ask for forgiveness. Now, that's not an excuse to sin. It's not carte blanche, you know, to say, well, I can do whatever I want as long as I live long enough to say, God, forgive me. No, I'm not saying that. Because if you truly believe in who Jesus is, you will lose that desire or at least lose the drive to do things contrary to what he would have you to do. Your drive will be to do what he wants you to do. He loved him anyway, and he loves you anyway. I came across this name this week, Matthew Eldridge. Those of you who know I'm a movie buff, he is in so many movies. Let me just read you a few of them. I only wrote down the ones that I'm familiar with because I figure if, if I'm not familiar with them, 
Not that I am the cinematographer expert, but if I don't know them, I don't know how lucky I'll be with you. Bad Boys for Life. That's like sequel three from Bad Boys, Bad Boys, you know. Those of you, you know, just shake your heads on occasion. First Man, that's the story of Neil Armstrong. He's in that. He's in Edge of Fear. He's in Pitch Perfect. I think number, I don't know how many of those are, but he's in like in the, one of the last ones of the Pitch Perfects. He's in Father Figures. He's in Baby Driver. I know my son would know that about this guy who can drive and they rob banks. He's in Hunger Games. Never watched any of those, but some of you have watched all of them, I know. He's in Goosebumps. I know we used to get the books for my son, but I didn't know there was a Goosebumps movie. He's in Anchorman. I have watched that. Sorry. He's in 90 Minutes from Heaven. Seen that too. He's in Identity Theft. Jason Bateman's in that. And there's a ton more. But he's a body double. Not a stunt double. He's a body double. They show his hands a lot. They show his feet a lot. Sometimes they'll get his face in the crowd. But he's not the lead actor. He's not the one delivering the lines. He's basically there for looks. And you would say, why would anyone want to do that? Because they don't get appreciated like actors. They're unnoticed. But this is what he says in an interview. They do it because they love being a part of the creation process. There's joy in collectively being part of this thing that they make. Jesus loved Judas anyway. Jesus loves you and me anyway because he wants each of us to be a new creation in him. He wants us to experience the joy of forgiveness, the grandeur of glory. And on this side of glory, he invites you to be his hands, his feet, loving and forgiving as we have been forgiven. Well, several weeks ago, when I think we first talked about Judas and uh, what was going to happen, kind of telegraphing that, I said, there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. And I still would say that. Judas goes out that night. In fact, I've told you earlier, John, if you go even to chapter, I think it's chapter uh, 12. He's talking about the light. Yeah. Put your trust in the light while you still have it so that you may become sons of light. He goes out and it's dark. You become more like Judas when you follow the dark instead of the light. When you identify with the world rather than the savior of the world, Satan starts that grip of the heart. Today, remember that he knows you and yet he still loves you. Don't betray him. Stand with me, please, we pray. Father, as we come now to a time of invitation in this service, I pray that if we stand here today feeling like we have betrayed Jesus at some point, whether it be this morning or last week or 10 years ago, and if we have not confessed that sin, now's the moment to say, Lord, take that burden from me. Let me always be faithful to you. Let me always walk with you. Let me be known as a child of light because darkness leads to destruction and death. Lord, if there's someone here who just wants to come to these steps, I know there are members of our congregation that will pray with them. If they want to pray with me, we're glad to do that. If they've never asked Christ into their life, don't spend another moment searching for that which will not satisfy.
for only Christ will bring a relationship with you, O oh Father, that you intended from the beginning. Bless us in this time of invitation, we pray. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.